0: You're listening to XOXO by The Knot, a new podcast exploring love in real life. I'm Whitney Little, and on the show today, you'll meet Katherine Ham and Amy Walter, who first committed their lives to one another in front of friends and family, both biological and chosen, on Labor Day weekend 1999. This was the start of their marriage. However, it wasn't until 2013 that they were legally married during an emotional ceremony that bonded their entire family, which we'll talk more about in the show today. And then on October 6, 2014, their own home state of Virginia finally recognized their legal union, 15 years after their first wedding. Needless to say, it's been a journey for Catherine and Amy. Today we'll explore the meaning and depth of love, commitment, and what marriage really means. This is their story. Having met a woman who I would spend the rest of my
1: life with, but not believing we could ever be legally married, that just wasn't even on the table, to here we are celebrating that, it's it's hard to find the words Mm -hmm. for it. While
2: I have always accepted that that's who Catherine is to me,
0: the world wasn't accepting that. So, Catherine and Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you. Glad to be here. We always started off in the same place. How did you two meet? Through friends, which was pretty common
1: in those days. This was the early 90s. So, you know, there wasn't the online dating world. I guess some people found each other in classified ads. Otherwise, you'd be hanging out with your other friends from the community and hopefully meet a really gorgeous, intelligent, beautiful, funny woman and then try to convince her to go out with you. (laughs)
0: And clearly you did. Clearly. So how did you convince her to go out with you? Gosh, I'm not sure. I think we both felt you know what a you little
2: know What did I do? You horned in on my dinner with Nyla. Well, that's a
1: good point. That's I did. You did. It was pretty bold, actually. We had a mutual friend, and I realized, oh, I could invite them both to dinner. And our friend Nyla agreed, checking to make sure Amy was okay, and then actually Nyla bailed. And then checked with each of us, and we were like, sure, no problem, Nyla. We'll go out to dinner alone. And so
2: we did. We didn't even pretend that we cared that she wasn't coming. (laughs) We're
0: like, oh, no, that's too bad. Anyway, yeah, we'll check you later. Call back sometime. And so did you know immediately you both liked each other? I think so. I felt like I, when I first met Amy, I, I felt like I had
2: met her before. It was a pretty strong, intense feeling. As we set up the dinner, Catherine said, oh, and afterwards we can go to this club I like to go to. They have line dancing, and you should come. And I was like, Oh I was two-stepping. I think it was whatever. even more. Line dancing even, could have been
1: many things. Even worse.
2: <laughs> and I was like, I, I'm not going to do this a country two-step dancing. It's going to be terrible. And it was also in a part of the city that was really far away and— You know, again, pre-Uber, pre-everything else, like you're kind of stranded out there. If the date goes sour, you're stuck. You can't just go like, oh, I'm just going to walk home. It's all good. So I had friends of mine secretly, I didn't tell Catherine, I knew they were going to be there, had them show up. And so if things really went wrong, that I could turn to them and say like, oh, my gosh, you guys are here. So great to see you. Why don't you stay for a while? And then they would take me home.
1: I really, I thought, isn't this amazing? She uh knows people here. How amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: That is the old school version of me being like, text me that you have a medical emergency. Exactly. Exactly. It's exactly Yeah, because we
1: didn't have cell phones then. Right. No,
0: no, no. But it was the
2: same version, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I need you to bail me out. If things start to really go south, I (laughs) I said, you guys can leave. So we... Hopefully you would have made sure I had a ride. I mean, maybe. (laughs) I thought... You deserved one.
0: Yeah. Were both of you out and dating at the time? Like, what was it like when you first met? Were you fully comfortable with your sexuality and, you know, being out in public and things like that?
1: That's an interesting question. So much has changed in the last, whatever it's been, almost 30 years. I came out in 91 and Amy and I met in 93. So, you know, I was working in a school at the time. It was a struggle then to be out. I wasn't out to everybody. It was out to, I think, most of my family, if not all of my fa- No, I was not out to all of my family mm-hmm. when I first met you. Mm-hmm. And so it was a complicated time. It was, you know, especially when you're just out of college, there's a lot of identity stuff going on anyway and finding your way. And so then on top of it to be in a lot of kind of personal upheaval it was challenging. So we were both learning a lot individually. But then by the same token, there was a lot to navigate and negotiate in terms of who are we in this world? How do we tell our families? What does this look like? So yes, there have been some dating. We had a great community of friends. And that's, again, how we met through that sort of overlapping space. There were some really cool women here in the D.C. area, many of whom we're still friends with today. We were fortunate, actually, that we found each other at such a turbulent time, I think.
2: I think we were very comfortable with who we were. I don't think that we, everybody knew who we were in our family units, right? So that part still had to be negotiated and dealt with. But in terms of our own place in our comfort level with sexuality, I think it was very. For as self actualized as you can be at 23.
0: And how have you seen a change? since you two first met and how people date today and explore their sexuality in a way where they feel comfortable and safe and kind of secure being in public, too.
1: Back Hmm. in the day, we really—we hung out in bookstores and bars. So we lived in in or near DuPont Circle, which was the—sort of known as the gay area at the time. So, yeah, you know, you'd see yourself kind of in the people around you. There was a lot more code speak— a friend of mine that I worked with just out of college, he's a gay man, and we both have, we still laugh to this day about this little dance we did as we'd reference things like Katie Lang <laughs> and I listened to the Indigo Girls. <laughs> what about you? So, you know, there were just different ways that we would find each other, and you could find the local gay magazine or newspaper and sources like that. There were a few independent films. We did have VHS at the time, maybe even DVDs. Were DVDs mm, out then? Yeah, I don't know. I, like I can't that. remember. And, you know, a big deal then was the they had the Lesbian and Gay Film Festival, Real Affirmations. And so we would all come out, our, out of our little closets then to watch movies, which were horrible. But we were so desperate to see some version of ourselves that we would do that. What else do you remember, Yeah, Annie? that's
2: a really good way of describing it, that I do think we had no choice but to be in a community in real life, IRL, versus virtual life, which social media lets you do. And it's funny now to go through DuPont Circle and it, they're, I don't know where the gay people are. They're integrated now in a way in all the neighborhoods that they weren't back then. And, you know, as soon as DuPont Circle got a... It was gosh, an what, Ann Taylor. Yeah, it was an Ann Taylor loft. I was like, well, that's done. I guess there's no... The gay neighborhood's over. Uh, now that there's an Ann Taylor loft in there, <laughs> that's over. But that's what's really different is the integration, I feel like. It's not just online, but that straight people coming into gay bars, there are no gay bars. Like the death of gay bars has changed a lot. I think especially lesbian bars, that there used to be a place we would all hang out. What was that place called? Faze? Oh, Trumpets. That's right. Um, they had ladies night. Yeah. And that's where we would go and hang out a lot. And that can't—that's not like sustainable now. And it's not because there aren't gay people who want to go out or lesbians that want to go. And but that it's more acceptable now to just, with your straight friends, say, "Oh, we're all going out. Just come to this bar with us. It's fine," and you can be in. It's it's a much more mixed in environment, right?
1: I think so. And we should ask some young lesbians oh, no. and queer folks so what they old. do.
2: Yeah, we just moved out to the suburbs and. Started doing potlucks, (laughs) true to form. So I really do feel like that the big difference is, and this is what it must have felt like when the generation older than us watched us interacting in the world, that they were, not only were they going to clubs that were separate from other, or bars that were separate from quote-unquote straight bars, but that they were so secretive about it. That's right. Nobody knew where it was or what it was, and secret codes and handshakes and... And then our generation went to like, we'll be open about that we're going to this bar, but it was still very separate to now where it's, why would you have a separate place just for gay people? Just that you can all be in the same place at one time and that straight people can try to set you up with their gay friends as opposed to it's only gay people that would set you up with
0: someone. So the line dancing probably sealed the deal, it would for me, but when did you two know you were ready to take the next step?
1: We were dating exclusively pretty quickly. That's true, that's true. Man, we were, it was actually just good. We Amy and I have some personality differences that are sort of beautifully <laughs> offset, and it took us a while to work through that, but as we figured out that we had a lot more strength when we combined our superpowers to fill those deficits, it, it made a difference, and we had each lived with somebody previously, and so I think we were both in the place that by the time we were ready to move in together, we were planning on, we're not moving out, this is for keeps. Right. And I guess 1995 was when we moved. We left D.C. and moved to Virginia found a little house and, and settled
2: down there. So that was two years, basically. That's right. That's a, that's a good way to think that.
0: And when did you know you wanted to get married? You
1: know, for me personally, you know, I grew up that marriage is what you did. you find someone you love and you have a family and you settle down with somebody. And that's part of what I learned culturally. The wedding thing, that's complicated because coming out in those days, I think there was a part where I thought, well, I'm not sure what family are going to still be around and supporting me. I don't know. I've never I've not seen anybody get married so I don't know what that would even look like and never mind kids. I there was like a, a a gap a chasm to cross in terms of understanding what we could claim. And in the 90s there was a lot happening in terms of Ellen DeGeneres and her show. There were a lot of fights around DOMA, uh, the Defense of Marriage Act that Clinton signed into law. The there were a lot of there was the March on Washington, there were a lot of things happening that were bringing sort of some pride and advocacy and opportunity to say, hey, we're people too. And then we went to a wedding. Some friends had actually, it was called a commitment ceremony, and started to understand, oh, we can do this. So we sort of understood getting engaged almost as an expression of that commitment. And I think, Amy, you can talk. You were a little more hesitant about actually doing a wedding. You, even as a public figure, you know, you said you don't like people looking at you, so...
2: <laughs> well, and we that didn't. happens in a wedding. It just, I mean, it really highlights, I think, the power of tradition and seeing yourself in your culture. You know, as we go forward, just in American life in general, and we ask ourselves, huh, why aren't these places more diverse, or why haven't we seen women or people of color, or whatever the category is, do better in X, Y, Z place. You say, well, because they've never seen themselves there. And seeing yourself is really important. So why do people have this image of what a wedding looks like? Well, their whole lives they've been sort of bombarded with these images of this is what a wedding is, and this is what it looks like, and this is how you process it. And then as a kid, you're taken to weddings, and there's a tradition there, and you understand that. And then, you know, you look out into the life that you've made, and you're like, it doesn't look anything like what I've seen before. And so you can deal with that two ways. One is to say, well, because it doesn't look like anything I've seen before, we're not going to do it. Or you say, well, we're going to do something that doesn't look like anything I've seen before because the rules don't apply to us. Catherine's right that in the 90s, you started to see more and more gay folks sort of picking up and, and creating their own ceremonies. They were called commitment ceremonies then, obviously, because it wasn't legal. Didn't it, Wasn't there unions. Wasn't there one on, on friends? Yeah, maybe so. So Ross's ex-wife, maybe. So you saw that. So it started to pop up, and then our friends starting to do it. And so it became one of these things where instead of it being a sort of a shadowy, oh, we can't say its name, it was, oh, wait, all of our other friends are getting married, and they're getting blenders. And I think there was a recognition by straight and gay people like, well, hold on a minute. If I've been to 15 weddings— Right. And I had to buy bridesmaids' dresses and wedding gifts and all of that for all these other people that we love. But, you know, why shouldn't they show up at our ceremony? And why shouldn't we expect that same sort of experience? And that's where I think the switch flipped, right? Where it became, yeah, it's going to look different. It's not going to be a traditional wedding. And we don't have to have it look traditional. But we also wanted to be able to do two things, one, to express that commitment to one another and also to have the most important people in our lives to be there and witness it and to show them also our love and support for them and the community.
1: Yeah, Ultimately, the evolution came. We'd do these long, long bike rides and just talk and talk about what would we do and what kind of weekend would we have. And in the end, we decided we would want to have a weekend where we bring people together Mm -hmm. to play. And we actually sort of built around that concept of celebrating and finding a way to mark our commitment. In some ways, there's a story about my dad who's straight. After we had sort of said we were engaged using that language because we didn't know what else to use, even though we didn't have a specific wedding plan, he kept saying, when are you going to get married? Because that was something he understood. Mm -hmm. And there was a piece for me that I realized, oh— Even though I'm saying, well, Amy and I are committed and this is for keeps, there is a piece of the ritual and this milestone making that really matters to folks in a way that I hadn't fully understood. So it was really nice because we had such a long, again, engagement, rabbit ears, rabbit ears, process that the the weekend really evolved into this really wonderful celebration and statement of our commitment to one another. Mm
0: -hmm. So there was... No official proposal, right? It was the two of you coming together, having an adult conversation, deciding, (laughs) yeah, let's have a ceremony and go through this together.
1: It was first, Amy gave me for—we went out to dinner on an anniversary night, and Amy gave me what I can only describe as a gold wedding band. I think you know the type. And she just gave that to me, I think, as a commitment ring. But I obviously was like, does this mean we're engaged because it looked like a wedding band to me. So she's looking at me right now with, oh. And because she's so loving, she said, sure, that means we're engaged. (laughs) She didn't want to crush my little heart. So that would, I would say that's kind of the proposal. Meanwhile, because I'm me, I had written this sappy poem, expression of love and being together for forever. So it was my version of it. So we were sort of in sync and bumbled into it, I'd say. The ceremony piece became a, a solution to... How do we find our way to proclaim and celebrate what we are together? We started on those rides talking about where would it be. And that's what happened is mm-hmm. I had been at this really cool faculty retreat from the school I worked in. And this beautiful facility that was like, here's where we can trap our friends and make them play with us for the whole weekend. And <laughs> I showed it to Amy and she was like, this is it. And and so that's why it happened was we found the place. And so then we were like, okay, now what do we do next? It was this we were just sort of following the rollout that was showing up in front of us it really yeah, evolved that's a great
0: way to yeah.
2: describe that
0: and as you're approaching quote unquote wedding planning what did you look for when it came to very like heteronormative traditions and what were you looking to kind of take on as your own or disregard completely like how did you kind of build a wedding that maybe you hadn't seen before. Well, I, I'll tell
1: you, I horrified my mom, Dallas, <laughs> Texas mom, when I said I think <laughs> I'm imagining myself outside, barefoot, wearing fleece, maybe jeans. Shit, that Trump does. She had an opinion or two of what she envisioned. We, you know, we what did we do, Amo? We really there's the piece which are like, what's what do you need for an event, and it really evolved. So it ended up being a sit down affair for. Yes, we had 92 people ended up showing up out of, like, the 125 or so. So it was, I mean, a decent-sized wedding, particularly for the time. In terms of how we built it, the ritual, we we sat down with some beloved friends over, It's actually the 99 World Cup weekend, which is timely since the the women's national team is heading to play soccer in the World Cup this summer. That's the
2: gayest thing it's, that you just mentioned,
1: right? Isn't it? But I love <laughs> like, them. Oh, I, well, I know. We, but we, you, were we like, what do I remember, China remember about US the wedding game
2: and writing our vows? Well, I remember do, 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 do. writing our vows, watching the women's soccer game. I'm proud of that. I know who you are. There's no shame in that game. No, I'm just saying we beat China. That was amazing. Super, super gay. Okay, go ahead. <laughs>
1: So we, it ended up evolving, but what we wanted to do was create a fun weekend for our friends. And that included some friendly croquet competition. It included a lot of downtime. We had some friends do a bike
2: ride. But remember when we were going to vendors? So we were out on the eastern shore of Maryland, which is a little more conservative than being in a big city. So this wasn't in Washington, D.C., and especially back then, 20 years ago. You know, it felt even more sort of rural and kind of isolated from, you know, our urban environment. And I do remember thinking, remember when we went to the flower people, thinking, okay, this is going to be really awkward. Maybe they're going to be thinking, I don't want to help these guys. And I I never had that feeling. What I do remember is getting— I was just thinking about our dresses— Because we wore dresses, newsflash. Well, what I remember about that whole experience, though, was so two things. One, hoping that the vendors would be okay okay and willing. Two, that we were also willing to play along if they weren't. Mm -hmm. You can tell that story about dresses. And three, how little I cared about, to your point, Whitney, about the heteronormative thing. Like, are you serious that we have to spend... Another hour talking about flowers, like I really can't, I can't anymore. Like those look fine. Do I don't care. Right. Well, we did things like about flowers or we table didn't have settings a cake or you linens. Didn't. I know I regret that we didn't have a cake. Amy
1: was like, I, we didn't do things that were built around the traditional photo op. Correct. So we knew we needed dessert because, of course, but it wasn't. We didn't sort of go with what would be the typical shot list, for example.
2: Right. I didn't walk. We didn't walk through the checklist mm-hmm. of things. It was like. I know what I want. I have a uh, we need to have an open bar and a DJ. And that those is what were my two said. things that I needed. And as long as we got those two things, I was fine. And good food. And mm-hmm. we that was part of the process. Mm-hmm. Everything else was Yeah.
1: It was And We just solved problems as we went, really. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a result, there were things like I had mentioned before that we had a photographer who was helping us out. It was pretty low key. It wasn't the way people couples today book photographers and It was also a million years ago where she, um, you know, used just film. We didn't have digital cameras in common use at the time. And we did a whole family session of photos, and she didn't have any film in the camera. So we discovered that, and we're like, well, nothing we can do but move on. Because we weren't thinking through this contingency planning. We weren't doing the really hardcore, intense vendor planning. I mean, I think couples of the day did it a little differently than they do today. But we were just much more mellow about stuff. You know, we didn't do big center pieces we got Mm -hmm. hurricane vases and put fish in them and created a little aquariums on each table with a few flowers to round it out we had a really beautiful flower display at sort of our Mm -hmm. altar if you will Mm -hmm. but those were flowers that we just we moved it around with us everywhere we went and relied on the sort of natural setting Mm -hmm. we were at least smart enough to rent the tent Mm -hmm. in case of rain that was probably the smartest thing we did because it poured rain You know, and relative to vendors, we were the couple, and people still do this today, but, you know, we would show up and not really say who we were or what we were doing, but we were trying to solve the problem, like we needed to have our—we got just basic dresses. They weren't wedding gowns, but we needed to have them altered, and a friend suggested a tailor in Alexandria, Old Town, which is, especially at the time, a somewhat conservative area, and so we just went in to have our dresses altered, and she was asking questions, and we said, oh, it's for a wedding, and— She just assumed we were bridesmaids in someone else's wedding, and we didn't disabuse her of that notion just because we didn't need to have the conversation and we really needed to get the dresses hemmed in time. (laughs) We went on the site visit to tour the venue. Amy and I did, and the salesperson was so nice walking us through, giving us the tour. Amy and I were conferring about everything. What do you think about this? I presented as the person doing most of the talking and had done the call. And we we would spend an hour together, and we were sitting down finally in the living room to have a conversation about sort of the what next. And then she asked a question about the groom and we were sort of all horrified. And I was like, oh, well, that's the groom right there. Cause I didn't know what to say. So obviously Amy was not a groom, but we were all traumatized by the moment. So it was a valuable lesson about setting up the vendor to not be in an awkward moment. But, you know, as I teach and talk with vendors now, helping them understand, like, it's easy to be fooled by two women who present, but don't ever assume that, you know, the two that you're talking to, they're not just necessarily like the bride and maid of honor. They might also be a couple. So we learned some lessons along the way. And at, but at the time, you know, they would never had a same-sex mm-hmm. wedding at this venue. The, mm-hmm. It was still somewhat unheard of. So we were forging a lot of territory, and we were pretty scared each step of the way, I think. And we were just sort of conservative in how we would identify ourselves. We didn't want to borrow any trouble. Mm-hmm.
0: How were your families involved along the way? Were they super supportive? Did they have a lot of strong ideas? I know your mom wasn't thrilled on the original outfit idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, also for your mom, we had something.
1: My mom right? was interested. She was a great supporter and really helped us and obviously went on to found the business which we'll talk about later, but so she was once she was on board, she was fully on board and and it was a matter, though, of we at the raining, felt rain. really strongly about designing the wedding for us because that's what we felt like we were doing. And so Amy was trapped in a lot of long car mm-hmm. rides out to the Eastern Shore as my mom would talk about what she wanted. And so we would ask her, is that a wish, a hope, or an expectation? Because <laughs> <laughs> she was allowed
2: to have a few expectations.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: That is so smart for any couple. It is. Right. Like she, Catherine, genius. she did a great job. It's genius, right? Like
1: Until she said, well, it's a really, really big hope. <laughs>
2: and we were like well that's an expectation right you can't you can't call that (laughs) the best laid plans i know but you did and then you called her out on that that's fine but admit that that's (laughs) what you hope would happen (laughs) what were some of the expectations i can't remember well
1: certainly that we weren't going to be barefoot wearing jeans and fleece yeah 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 yeah. she was really great actually Mm -hmm. indispensable because the stuff that we weren't interested in like the flowers she had a lot of great vision and some wonderful touches and in fact, without some of her advice and experience, and then the couple, the woman who married us and her husband who helped out, they're about 10 years older than we are. They were so invaluable, their life experience and understanding of what mm-hmm. this meant, because as young people, they're just, we were just a little bit clueless. So we had some folks who very gently and kindly helped to shape and that also included the venue and the planner. Remember, mm-hmm. her name was Sue Gick. She was amazing. She was so good. Mm-hmm. Just really helped us to polish it up. And the outcome of sort of everyone's contributions became phenomenal. You know, and relative to family support, one of the things that's interesting that I'll say is because I have a family that goes to 11, to borrow a Spinal Tap reference, and Amy's is a much smaller, more quiet family, we were trying to figure out balance. Because you know how it goes in, in with weddings. Is still to this day. You know, if you invite these two people, that may mean you have to invite that circle of 20. And we felt very strongly that we wanted to keep it small. So the other really smart thing we did, thanks to Amy, was setting up kind of the guest list in a way where we said people either needed to be folks that have had dinner with us. They have to know Amy, for example, if it's people from my my family. And they're folks that we have to have recently spent time with. And that really helped us Limit the list in a way that was easy to articulate because especially for my family, we needed to say, you know, that, look, you can pick 10 people that you want to invite who, by the way, were already on our list. But you can invite them but and have a reception in Dallas, which is where I'm from and where my parents live, and we'll show up and you can celebrate and invite whoever you want But for the ceremony, this is how we want to keep this tight. And the boundary about that and the articulation behind the why really helped us navigate that. And I I think it would have been a bigger ceremony if I'd been left to my and my family's devices. But Amy really advocated for keeping it smaller. And I'm so glad we did it because it would not have been the same wedding Mm. if we hadn't applied, I think, that thoughtfulness to it.
2: Well, and Catherine also had to be really thoughtful, too. So On my side, I have siblings, two siblings. My father had passed away. My mother was not engaged at all and did not come and wasn't involved. And so we really made the family piece—the focus was on our siblings and not on the parents or grandparents or uh, other folks in that universe. And that actually turned out to be really lovely, Mm -hmm. I think, to have— your brother and my sister and brother as sort of the centerpiece of our families. In escorting us in. In escorting us in, but also that they were kind of, I mean, obviously your parents were there and played a really big role, but I think it it gave them a role in the wedding that siblings don't normally get. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really wonderful bonding experience for all of us, too. Right. They and were
1: they our were, wedding
0: party. Yeah. Yeah. They were the entire wedding party. Mm-hmm. And what do you remember most about that wedding day?
1: It was such a wonderful culmination of the planning. The ritual was such a perfect expression of everything that had been building up toward that point. We had done a lot to bring people in, and we had this croquet tournament where people had to pair up with someone they didn't know. So everyone had spent the day playing and getting acquainted. We did what we called the bride ride, and we had friends who made us these bike jerseys. Some people went and played golf or went shopping together so everyone really knew each other, and then Hurricane Dennis um, continued to pour rain, and we moved from the garden into an indoor space, and a space we were actually almost too full for it. It was kind of spillover, but it created this really intense, special space, and you could feel everyone's presence and connectedness mm-hmm. in the room. That, like, that, that's the piece that I remember mm-hmm. was. It was like the whole weekend had been the warm-up act. Mm-hmm. So we were all on the same page of what was going to happen. People were excited. There was anticipation. We kept it really fun. It was so perfect. I and I can't think of a, a day where I've ever felt more loved and supported. And
2: it was just magical. Well, that's what I think. For me, the feeling of having that love beyond just the love that you have for that person that you're marrying but feeling all this love from your community, you just don't get get that in day-to-day life. And it's hard to explain to people who have not gone through this why weddings are so important until you are actually in the process. But
1: can I just jump in and mm-hmm. add on that? And mm-hmm. and one of the reasons, I, maybe this, I don't think it goes without saying, is I think we end up forgetting this, but particularly at that time, coming out was such a hard process And there's so much sort of shame and fear of lack of acceptance that to understand the amplification of what it meant to be in a room full of 100 people who were just loving on you and the staff like leaning around the doorway, curious about what was happening and the gay staff secretly coming up to us and saying something about how significant this was for them. The piece of being able to just feel loved, which, you know. The process of coming out to your parents when you don't know how they're going to react is terrifying because you ask yourself the question, are my parents going to reject me? Am I going to be kicked out of the house? You don't – it's the worst feeling. And I'm sure there are other people with other experiences who've had it in some similar way. But so this direct connection to that fear of of will I be accepted for who I am, knowing this is just who I am to in our era, which is we're so fortunate at our age, but that we had this opportunity to build the space and be lifted up with so much love and acceptance. It was healing. Mm -hmm. And I think it changed some of our family members who weren't like my grandmother, who wasn't quite sure what to do about this. And for so many of my gay friends after I would, especially a lot of the male couples I knew, I just really said, I just really encourage you to consider a wedding. I know you don't think this belongs to you. I know you see this as a tool of the patriarchy. I know you can't imagine coming out to your family or understanding why you do this, but I want you to understand that this ritual and expressing your love like this in a publicly declarative way is so deeply powerful and healing. That's the piece that I think made especially same-sex weddings in the '90s and the 2000s so powerful because That's we didn't great. have
2: the legal sanctioning. That's right, and we did not. That always was a really blessing. important point about the acceptance. Yeah, that it's not just that you that the feeling constantly that we were told was there's something wrong with you, and also you're going to be rejected by your friends, by society, by everybody else, and then to have a whole room of people who are saying that. Not only do we accept you, but we are celebrating you was the most amazing feeling.
0: Well, and not only did your family fully embrace this, but then, Catherine, your mom turned this into a business. Right.
1: She's really entrepreneurial-minded, and she was trying to find a wedding album for us for a shower that some friends threw, which was a bit like a traditional wedding shower, but we all had a little bit of a sort of tongue-in-cheek as we did it, including invited men to it. And many of them, they'd never been to something like this. And they were like, are, are we really invited? Are you sure this wasn't a mistake? Like, we're not supposed to be. This is a space for women. I don't understand what this is. So it was a really interesting experience in so many ways. Uh, but my mom was lamenting to some folks that she couldn't find a, a lesbian wedding album for us. And she had gone down to the gay bookstore in Dallas uh, it's closed now. It's called the Crossroads Market. She says, oh, you know, I was sure everything had been invented. Mm-hmm. So she went in and asked the storekeep for an album, and he said, I've never heard of anything like that. And so she continued telling the story. Someone at the party, again, this is 1999, so we were in the middle of the first dot-com boom. and someone said, well, you should start twobrights.com And my mom said, well, I will, and I'll do twogrooms.com, too, for my boys. (laughs) And we got through the wedding, and that was in September, and by October, she had acquired the domains and begun the business plan. And, you know, e-commerce was not really a full-on package thing at the time, so she found a developer who helped to handwrite the code for the site, and she started selling invitations and cake tops and other products for same-sex couples So it was kind of amazing. And, you know, folks at the time thought she was crazy. People would say, there's no market for this. Gay people don't get married. It's not legal. Uh, There was just, she experienced a lot of naysaying. And really, it was out of her sheer will and belief that this made a difference that she kept going. And that is, I mean, that's just, in a nutshell, that's my mom. She's just an incredible advocate and a real believer in making a difference. I would joke, tease her. I, at the time, I was teaching in a school. I hadn't started working with her in the company yet, and she would help couples with invitations. We as a community would actually find our way online because it was a safe space. We were early adapters once it started to started to show up as a resource where we could find LGBTQ spaces. And she, they would find their way to her, and she would help them with their invitations, and she would end up getting an invite to the wedding. All over the country, couples, <laughs> they loved and were so appreciative of her support, many of whom had been rejected by their parents or their parents didn't know about this. And so she served as the original surrogate mom, I'm pleased to say. I'm very proud of her for that because that's uh, that's kind of an interesting thing, that you end up selling invitations and talking them through the ensemble and the correct way to address your inner envelope, and then you get an invitation to
0: the wedding. So I'm very proud of her for for that role she played, and it's wild to me that they didn't think this was a business model that could succeed. Catherine, you and I are both in the wedding industry through the Knot and Wedding Wire. I think right now, especially, we still hear of vendors who don't want to work with couples who are part of the LGBTQ plus community, but I think we don't see the bigger community that really genuinely does want to help two people have, you know, this one special day where they commit to each other. And it's so nice to be able to share these stories of people who understand it and get it and want to fill that need.
1: That's right. And that, I mean, my experience, and I think yours as well, and I mean, in the industry, the vast majority of wedding pros are so excited to celebrate love And I wish we saw more headlines about that because I feel strongly that it is the wedding industry that was part of that sort of one one tool that helped us get to marriage equality because it was wedding professionals saying, I want to help couples and I want to work with them. And so what can we do to be a part of this? And couples who had the courage to come out and have their weddings and go get married down at the courthouse Visibly, our love was everywhere, and there was an industry saying, yes, this is great, and we want to support this. And, you know, there is no civil rights issue that moved so quickly mm-hmm. from no rights to uh, to a legal right, and that would be the many legal rights that legal marriage confers. So this is a beautiful thing about the industry, and yes, as you suggested, there are still folks who are struggling with it. In some respects, lots of times because of their own community norms or religious beliefs. And even then, my experience, because I try to have open conversations with everyone, is most vendors, they still want to have a conversation that's respectful and caring. It is really the minority of. Experiences where it's super hurtful. And they do happen, but it only takes one. And those are powerful stories because they sort of stun and shock us. There's a lot of awkwardness. There's a lot of, I think, people trying to respectfully refuse. And, you know, same sex couples don't want to work with a vendor that doesn't make them comfortable anyway. And same sex couples feel a lot of anxiety about making the calls still to this day. But overall, you know, the thing, as you said, how could people sort of not see this? Well, you know, again, it, it, it was happening outside of
0: what everyone could see. When it comes to, to your point about how much progress we've made, that's also from a legal perspective. And so I want to fast forward to 2013. Many, many years later, you both had a son together that you adopted, and— You two got married at the D.C. Superior Court. Tell me about that.
1: I had a friend from college who is a judge there and was kind enough to officiate for us. We kind of felt like we'd already been married, but we needed to do this legally. We had the opportunity of our son being there and our evolving community that included a lot of families. So we just decided we'd make a day of it. And in addition to redoing our vows and exchanging the same rings we also did a forever family ceremony a little sam ceremony our son was too young to remember anything of the day of his legal adoption uh, so it was a really special time for us to as a family say a few things and solidify our commitment to one another and what our values are in terms of how we want to walk in this world that ended up being my favorite bit of that day mm-hmm. to celebrate it with him and it and it added it added to the experience in a way that i didn't
2: i didn't really anticipate yeah. That's a great point. What we were really celebrating, it was, yes, Catherine and Amy, and I felt a little indulgent on it, like, oh, we've already had a wedding. I can't believe we're inviting people to come do this again. But what people were really excited about as well, and what we were really trying to highlight, was the how big of a deal this legal piece was. And in fact, a lot of our friends were doing these sorts of things, having sort of informal quote-unquote gatherings, I guess, at places, at courthouses, and doing a legal ceremony, and then having, and again, not a really formal, but a, a gathering afterwards. And that's what we did, too. We went down the street, and we rented a restaurant, and just invited people to come and have some barbecue, have some barbecue and... Back to Texas. We went back to Texas. (laughs) We did. It's good barbecue for D.C. It was. And so there was a whole sort of – it sort of feels like an aftermarket, right? Mm -hmm. Like you bought the car, but then you're going and getting, you know, the add-ons. But it was a – so it's not really a a wedding as much as it was a celebration of the legal status. Mm -hmm. And we spent a – there was a good chunk of that ceremony. And where people were the most excited too was I'm able to legally put these two people together.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right. Because 2013, we didn't yet have federal marriage equality. Mm -hmm. As I like to say, I called our accountant and our lawyer and I said, should we get married? Mm -hmm. And they both said, yes. Isn't that so romantic? So we did. And so this was a time where there was that from 2010 to to 2015, you know, following D.C. and New York and the spread of more marriage equality momentum – There was a real excitement building around that and folks really enjoying that opportunity. And because Caleb, who was, I think, seven at the time, a lot of his school friends were there. Uh So there were all these young people who got to come to our wedding. And, you know, their parents were so pumped up that here's like one of the first weddings that their kids are going to is a same-sex wedding. So it was a... It ended up being a really yeah, neat day. It surprised me in those ways. But, mm-hmm. but we, you know, we left our little barbecue party and headed back across the Potomac River into Virginia where we weren't legally married. So we were federally recognized based on, for example, our retirement accounts, but we didn't have state recognition of our marriage at the
0: time. But that did come in 2014. That's right. So in October of 2014 is when Virginia... Legally recognized same sex marriage. And then in June 2015, that was probably the biggest victory of all. Can you kind of walk me through what those moments were like for you two as a couple, but also for you as a family with your son? Yeah, you know, for 2014, I was sitting in a community meeting. I saw the news. It came
1: through as an alert, and it was—I mean—welcome to the new era. Me texting Amy to say, "Oh my gosh, we're legally married now in our home state," and so then we went on about our days. Uh, So it was this interesting, anticlimactic but exciting moment. And people in the room, the other moms in the room, were like, "What's going on?" And I was explaining to them (laughs) what had just happened, and so we all had a little sort of celebratory moment of that. And then in 2015. You know, again, I was, I've been working with WeddingWire for years, and a bunch of us went down, and we were on the steps the day that the decision was announced. And so calling each other and sharing that excitement, I remember being quite tearful. And the opportunity to be legally recognized and to have those protections, that piece of equality, I, you know, I feel I'm really proud of the relationship that Amy and I have. We work very hard at it. We do our very best to be great partners to one another, great parents to our son, great community members, You know, it was always painful that somehow we were considered second place or we didn't have the same rights, even though we had all the same responsibilities. And so that Obergefell ruling, it was so joyous and such a beautiful moment. Sometimes, you know, the good guys don't finish first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And to have come out in the early 90s and walked this path that basically 15 years later you know, having met a woman who I would spend the rest of my life with, but not believing we could ever be legally married, that just wasn't even on the table,
0: to here we are celebrating that is, it's hard to find the words Mm -hmm. for it. And when people think of a wedding or marriage, I think they think of the big party, right? They think of committing themselves in front of their friends and family. But you had had that a long time ago. So how did the actual legal ramifications help solidify your relationship? Like, what did that mean to you two as a couple? So after we had our ceremony
2: in 1999
0: and people would say, right,
2: how's your wife or how's your... But I would never refer to Catherine as my wife in public, right, because that's not... was not a legally recognized term. And everything back then was your partner, right, which was always confusing to people because... They didn't quite know, is this your business partner? Is this your law partner? Is this your romantic partner? Do you play golf with this person? Like, what does that mean, right? (laughs) Just
1: PSA, it's really confusing to me when straight women reference their partner. They mean well.
2: I know. But it's super confusing. Super. Right. It's the only (laughs) thing we have. Is she gay? Wait, who is that guy, though? That's right. I get very confused still when people do that. Then fast forward to this wedding. And even then, right, here it is. It's the legal recognition I was still very hesitant to use the term wife because it felt foreign to me. And it was like, I don't know, I'm sort of appropriating a term that wasn't really meant for this kind of relationship. The longer we've gone forward, though, I've realized how important that term is because while I have always accepted that that's who Catherine is to me, the world wasn't accepting that. And then now that I can go out in the world and say... Not just that this random person who is with me right now who's helping me make a decision about buying this car or picking out a school for our son or doing even mundane things around the community is a person that is my wife, right? And people understand what that term means. This isn't just your girlfriend. This isn't somebody that you are living with now. You for, for people who are straight or quite frankly anyone in this society that we've grown up in where to be married, to be committed puts you in an entirely different category that people understand what that term means, what that commitment to that means. And so it gave me then more confidence to use that term. I don't know if that makes
1: sense. It's really that dilemma between wanting to use new language Mm -hmm. that really helps to describe a new world, a new opportunity, as opposed to using, you know, the old heteronormative, Mm -hmm. old school stuff. But by the same token, it's hard because when you are forging new ground, it helps when you can use language that makes sense to people. Mm -hmm. And that's what I heard you saying is— it's just a shortcut to sort of explain this whole deal, right? right? Because people, you can watch them respond even physically. Mm-hmm. Nonverbally, they respond to that and understand really quickly, oh, got it, and they just roll with it. So, you know, I think one of the exciting things that's happening for young people today and the queer couples and the non-gender conforming and the folks that are really blowing the doors off of some of the intersectionality and identity that's tremendous, and they are um, really doing important work for new ways to think about things so it's interesting to be in this middle middle group as a Gen Xer where we had a lot of opportunity that the our sort of mothers and fathers in the community who struggled through the AIDS crisis and and deep closeted and shaming to have had opportunity they didn't have and mm-hmm. yet I think sometimes we look like traditional dinosaurs to today's young people mm-hmm. but the thing that's that's so valuable to me is that my son and his friends, that generation, marriage equality is a given for them. Mm -hmm. So there are kids who've been born into this world that have been born into a world where marriage equality has always existed. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to continue doing is making the world a
0: better, safer, stronger place for love and for honoring commitment. On that note, as far as children being able to (laughs) envision themselves getting married one day and not feeling like there's any sort of limitations on what they can and can't have. What advice do you have, relationship advice first for couples in general, but also for young kids who are still exploring their sexuality?
1: The first is explore, right? I grew up being told I needed to be a certain way. I'm excited that kids... All kids can ask themselves the question, "Well, what's my sexual orientation? (laughs) Who am I attracted
2: to?" What a beautiful thing that everybody can answer that question for themselves. They can see so many versions of that Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. because of the mediums that we have now, and it's not just on television or on Netflix, but through your Instagram account, through Facebook, they're just you as a human now can see a version of yourself as an adult that we weren't able to see growing up. And what we would do is we had to, like, put ourselves into the picture. We had to paint ourselves into a picture that wasn't there for us. And they can actually see it in front of them. But it also doesn't mean that just because a picture isn't there that you can't make it yourself. That's so maybe right. there isn't a picture of what you see your life looking like. That's okay. There wasn't a picture for us either. That's right. And you can, you can make that happen. I would add the advice that relationships
1: are work, and we were very fortunate to have a really smart woman marry us. Mm-hmm. And the advice she gave to us is what I would share. And this is what she said to us during the wedding and after the wedding. The purpose of your union is for loving and serving each other, and for taking responsibility for putting the other person first. And on our anniversary for a number of years after that, that wedding, she would call and just say hello into the answering machine tape, say that to us and hang up. And I just have to say that on the days when I feel a little lost and I'm not sure, you know, which direction I need to be walking in, her words come back to me. And that's the bottom line. I'm really clear on what the purpose of our union is. It feels like such a blessing to me. It's mm-hmm. so centering. And I am happy and I feel so privileged to do the work because it's, it's been incredible. I just mm-hmm. feel so blessed.
0: Aww. That's great advice. Well, Catherine and Amy, thank you so, so, so much for joining us today. This has been incredible, and I've loved hearing your story. Anything else you want to add Mm -hmm. before we sign off? Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you. That was really thoughtful. Just that would
1: be, if we were to go true to brand, it would be kiss and a hug, a kiss and a hug, right? XOXO.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) XOXO is a podcast produced by The Knot, the nation's leading wedding planning app, offering a seamless all-in-one wedding planning experience. From finding inspiration and local vendors to creating your registry and managing all your guest experiences, like digital RSVPs and photo sharing. The Knot was founded on the mission of helping every couple plan their wedding, regardless of their style, budget, location, culture, or who they choose to marry. For more than 20 years, The Knot has helped empower 25 million couples and counting to celebrate and plan their perfect celebration. If you're planning a wedding, be sure to download The Knot Wedding Planner app, available for all mobile devices. Now, a word from our listeners. I'm Jeff. We've been married for 28 years. And my words of wisdom to married couples are to listen to one another, be supportive. And above all else, don't judge one another. Be there for one another. Thanks for tuning in to XOXO by The Knot. If you have a comment about our show, tips for making your own traditions, or marriage advice you want to share on air, email us at xoxo at thenot.com. And you can connect with us on social. I'm over there. Search our handle at The knot. And you can find us on the web at thenot.com. We'll be back next week, so be sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks to our producer, Lauren Nolan, with assistance from Emily Berman. This podcast was recorded in New York City at The Hanger Studios.